Once again, good morning, and thank you for being here. If it's your first time, even if it's your second time, we're really glad that you're here with us. Uh, if you could please turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. That is our sermon text for this morning, Philippians 2, chapter verses 19 through 30. It's the ESV. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with his father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can gather and look into your word. Would you bless us? Would you strengthen us as we look into it? Help me, Lord, to be clear and concise. Help me to be humble. And as we look into your scripture, Lord, we know that it is you who is working in your lives. And so we look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, when I was a kid, about... I've actually never told this story, so... New story. Uh, when I was about nine or ten... Um, I got in trouble in school. Now, I don't remember for what exactly. It's either because I said a bad word, which is possible, or I might have given somebody an expression that sometimes people give when there's road rage. I know there's children here, so I don't want anybody to repeat it after we leave. I know, I was a kid. Uh, that's not an excuse, but that is what happened. Um, and my brother was the one to hear about it because I was going to a Christian school at the time. And so they were especially mad. <laughs> um, and I remember after school, we had dinner, and he took me to the park, and we sat on the swings. And he was uncomfortable. He's about 10 years older than me. And he's always had a sort of quiet and serious way about him. Um, and he just starts talking to me about why swearing is wrong and how those expressions hurt people's feelings. Um, and how it's important to know what it is that you're saying and what you're saying to another person. He talked for about 20 minutes, um, and I don't remember most of it because I was like nine, and also I was scared because I thought I was going to get a spanking that day. Um, but I remember still sitting with him on the swings and how much he cared for me, and that's what I walk away with. My brother cares for me. I really shouldn't do this. Like, I think this hurts my brother's feelings. I think it makes him worried. Maybe it is really that bad. Um, I don't know who you've had in your life that was able to pull you aside 
and in a gentle and gracious way, even in their corrections, make you feel loved and cared for. Even as a nine-year-old, I remember. You know, he, I, I'll, next sermon I'll give another story about how he corrected me a little less nicely when I was like 22. But for today's sermon, we're focusing on that story. <laughs> this week, we're looking at the letter to the Philippians. The letter contains many beautiful themes like joy, living with a gospel mindset, humility, unity, and friendship. We come to the end of chapter 2. In what almost seems like a random section of the letter, Paul had been talking about the example of Christ and the Philippians in their suffering. He talked about his imprisonment. He talked about the hypostatic union, which is a fancy word for the fact that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. And then he comes here in the middle of that entire dialogue and takes a step back and talks about two of his friends and their mission. He discussed these lofty ideas about who Jesus is and how he impacts the world. But he didn't just stay in the world of ideas. He comes back down to the real and actual implications that these truths have on the Philippians and their relationships. And he does that by using two examples, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Our aim this morning is by looking at these two examples and what Paul brings up is to consider our relationships and how the gospel impacts our friendships as it impacted the lives of the Philippians. And so with that, we have two points. Because of the gospel, we can grow in our concern for others. And second, because of the gospel, we can grow in our genuine service of others. And the goal and aim of this sermon really is to say that because of the gospel, we can have deep gospel friendships. And so the first point, point, verses 19 through 24, because of the gospel, we can grow in our concern for others, verses 19 through 24. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may too be cheered by the news of you. Today's text begins with Paul's desire to send Timothy and to send him soon. Timothy has a mission, and his mission is twofold. You see it at the beginning of verse 19. First, he is sent to cheer Paul up, right? It seems like a small detail, but Paul is concerned for the Philippians, and so he wants to hear news about them. And so he sends someone that he trusts. He is writing to them a letter because they sent him monetary support, but also because he heard some things that concerned him. So Paul writes a letter to them. The letter that he wrote, which is the letter to the Philippians, is meant to elicit a response in the people to whom he is writing. And so after the letter is sent, after some time, he is going to send somebody to check on them and see how they're doing. So he sends Timothy his own joy in order to check on them and the response that they had. Second, he also needs a person to inform the Philippians what was the result of his imprisonment. That's why in verse 23, he says that he hopes to send him as soon as he gets an idea of what is going to happen to him. So Timothy here also serves not only as a messenger for Paul of the good news of the Philippians, but also as a messenger to the Philippians of how it is going with Paul. 
there is a beautiful relationship here and concern that is shared among them. Paul is concerned for them, and he is certain that they are concerned for him. So Timothy's mission is one of joy. In his being sent, he brings joy to Paul. And in him being received by the Philippians, he brings joy to them. So Paul is in this dilemma. He needs to send somebody, and he picks Timothy. Why? Out of all the people he, put a, he could have picked, what makes Timothy qualified? One thing becomes clear in his explanation, and that is that Timothy's major qualification for the task which Paul has assigned him is his genuine concern for others. We see that most clearly in verses 20 through 22, and so I'll read it. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. First, he explains that he has no one like him in his concern for their welfare. This is a reference back to the beginning of chapter 2, when commending the church to consider others' welfare and interests above their own. It continues in verse 21 by a comparison of those that seek their own interests and those that seek the interests of Christ Jesus. Those that seek their own interests is most likely a reference to chapter 1 when Paul says that there are those who preach in order to bring me trouble even though they preach Christ. That preach out of selfish ambition. That thing which Paul is warning the, the believers specifically about. It is not only that he has genuine concern for the Philippians, but that in doing so, he also shows that he has genuine concern for the interests of Christ. So this is what is being said in those two verses. In Timothy, showing genuine concern for the Philippians and their interests, that aligns with how Christ cares for his church. And in doing so, it aligns him with the interests of Christ. Right? Because he says he is genuinely concerned for your welfare, and then the next comparison is for I have no one like him for all seek their own interests and none seek the interests of Christ Timothy in his genuine concern for the church at Philippi is showing the parallel between being genuinely concerned for the welfare of the church and seeking the interests of Christ why because Christ cares for his church that is the reason in verse 22, explaining that Timothy's proven worth is that he is like a son to Paul. Not just talking about their relationship, but saying this, I as a father have acted this way. Timothy is like a son to me. He will act in a similar way. He will care about your welfare. He cares about your interests and he cares about your well-being, which in the goal of the book of Philippians is this, that they become more like Jesus and love him more deeply, even in the midst of external pressures and internal tensions. This is therefore not only emphasizing their close relationship, but rather emphasizing that Paul cares for them and is concerned for them. And Timothy, as a son to him, will show the same sort of genuine concern and interest. Paul has expressed all of these ideas as he challenges the Philippians to live a life worthy of the gospel. And as he encourages them to remain steadfast and humble in the midst of external pressures and internal tensions. He gathers all of those ideas and gives the Philippians a genuine example of somebody that is concerned for them. 
and all of his concern. If that is Timothy's mission, to bring joy to both Paul and the Philippians, it's his qualification, it's his genuine concern. What is it that fuels his enterprise? And we look at the last verse, and it says simply, And I hope, therefore, to send them just as soon as he, as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Verse 22 ends with the comparison of he has served with me in the gospel. The one that fuels this entire enterprise is Christ. That is the sort of concern and love that is had between them that is fueled by the work of Christ. The working out of the gospel in the life of Timothy fueled his genuine concern for others as it did for Paul. And here he reminds his friends that it is also their fuel for their genuine concern. The scriptures often give a command, but the command is never devoid of the means to fulfill it. Paul challenges the Philippians to love each other. And the way that plays out is for genuine concern for one another. And the fuel for that is the gospel, as it was for him, as it was for Timothy, and as it should be for the church at Philippi. Because of the gospel, Timothy can have genuine concern for the believers at Philippi. Because of the gospel, the believers in that city can be concerned for one another and put another person first. And here we see that because of the gospel, we can grow in our genuine concern for, for each other. I, uh, I've shared before, I actually don't do very well if somebody asks me too many questions. And I know what you're wondering. We had a Q&A last week that it was the whole purpose was just for me to stand up here and be asked questions. And I know what you're thinking. It was uncomfortable, right? Like, it's hard. It's just hard for me. It's like, it is a flaw in my character in a way. Um, one time I was meeting with Luke and he started asking me a lot of questions. He was just like, where are you come from? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do with this? And I was like, hey man, I thought we were having coffee, right? Like, I don't understand. Like, where's this intensity coming from? And he just looked at me and said, oh no, I just care about you. And I want to learn about you. Genuine concern. We can, by the grace of God, grow and care for one another with genuine heart and interest. I think it would be important for us to take a few minutes and explore what that means and what that looks like. First, genuine concern is not the same as just being nice. That could be referred to as just shallow concern. But genuine concern is also not the same as just totally focusing all of your energies and faculties on another person while betraying anything that you have within yourself. The reason it is not just being nice is because the Bible calls us to more than just being courteous and asking a polite series of questions. Although do not read what I'm not saying. I'm not saying to be mean, please. Don't walk away this Sunday and say, well, the preacher told us to be mean, and so here's what I think. Um, please don't do that. Um, there is a certain depth and a functionality that are part of the gospel friendships. Timothy was concerned for them because he knew them and he wanted them to grow and to love God. Genuine concern carries, it, carries within it not just being polite, but a certain depth. There can be hard conversations that can be had that show that we're genuinely concerned with another person. 
it is at the same time not just being completely and solely preoccupied with another person as well. The reason that that is a problem is because the scriptures make it clear to us relationships are reciprocal. It is inappropriate to lose all sense of individuality and be wrapped up wholly and completely in another person. That is not genuine concern. Because even in this text, there is a complex relationship between the Philippians, Timothy, and Paul. There is a give and take. The nature of relationships are reciprocal. It is not one-sided. Gospel friendships require a genuine interest on both sides and a genuine desire to care for another person. So a way that we can grow in genuine concern is very simply to get to know other people. It is to ask genuine questions as hard as that may be for me, and be genuinely curious. And as we ask those questions to be charitable in our perceptions, our interactions with each other, in that I mean that I think it is important that we aim to understand each other, to talk about things, but one of the ways that we grow is that it is genuine curiosity with each other. Most likely here, not everybody agrees on everything. But we are a church family, and it is important to discuss things, even difficult things, even things in which we disagree. And in that discussion, to show each other grace and gentleness as we come to know one another, to move beyond the simple niceties, but within the bounds of wisdom, to try to understand the different people that we are interacting with, and to be genuinely in that, concerned for the other person, to know them and to be gracious with them and as we get to know them. And that does not mean that if somebody is sinning that we just pretend that it's not happening. But graciously and gently as people that they consider friends that have cared for them to bring up issues. And that as people bring up issues with you, because people will, to react graciously and charitably. But the second way that we can grow in genuine concern is not only to know others, but to be known. It is not only to ask questions, but also to share what we think the answers to those questions might be. It is not to wrap ourselves in the identity of another, but to come let ourselves be known. Relationships are reciprocal. That's what we see within Paul and Timothy and the Philippians. It is not just a series of gathering data on people, on other people, or people gathering data on us. But because our identity is found in Christ Jesus, the gospel frees us to both know and to be known. That we are the children of God in Jesus Christ. That it is okay if you did not like that movie, or if you do not like that food, or if you're concerned with a certain idea. And it is good to discuss it. Because you may be wrong or you may be right. But that is what a church family does. It is to be genuinely concerned with each other. In our knowing of each other. Not only in the niceties of life. But in the depth that we find in our conversations. So even if we come from different places and ideas and races and cultures and experiences. 
We gather together today by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that we can come to know each other because we stand under scripture. And it is scripture that speaks into our lives and corrects us. Genuine concern for one another. Second, because of the gospel, we can grow in our service of others. Verses 25 through 30. Who thought? I always thought these like verses weren't that deep, but I really enjoyed preparing this week. I'm not going to lie to you. But let's go to the second point. Verses 25 to 30. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. We continue with Paul talking about his friends. And we continue by seeing both the need that the Philippians had and Paul had. Like Timothy, Epaphroditus has a mission. Epaphroditus is most likely the person that gave the monetary gift to Paul. And he is most likely the person that was not only present when this letter was dictated, but the one that is delivering the letter to the Philippians. So maybe they thought he was like writing in that section himself, but he wasn't, right? During that time, the state did not care for prisoners. But it was the friends and family that had to provide the food and the care that the prisoners needed. So the Philippians hearing that their friend was suffering in prison, their beloved and seasoned apostle who had cared for them, who had shared with the jailer the gospel, they sent a monetary gift and they sent it in the hand of a man named Epaphroditus. Most likely on the way Epaphroditus got sick and so he sent word back that he was sick but he still completed his mission. That's why this section ends with them saying like, who became a minister to my need in that which you lacked. It is not a way of Paul subtly rebuking the Philippians. He's not saying like, he helped me even though you didn't give me enough. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this, you sent me money and Epaphroditus went above and beyond. Epaphroditus gave more than what was asked of him. He is the one that now carries the letter that I am sending back to you. Paul begins this entire section by explaining Epaphroditus' qualities. He calls him a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier. Which you actually read the letters of Paul, it's rare for him to use military language. He uses it again actually in 1 Timothy, surprisingly. He also calls him your messenger and the minister to my need. Which is actually priestly language. He was ministering to Paul. He is somebody who has been tested, tried and true through his service. And he is a man on a mission. And what is that mission? Their joy. Most likely from this text that we can determine that Epaphroditus was the one who came with support of Paul. God had mercy on Epaphroditus in the midst of his sickness, which implies that his healing was a direct involvement from God. The reason that Paul now sends him is because he is also worried that his brothers and sisters in the church are worried about him. So Epaphroditus' mission is one of joy. That's why in verse 26, it's 28, it says, I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. Epaphroditus has a mission too, their joy. In seeing him, the one whom they sent, who was at death's door, 
and being able to come and rejoice with him again. And for Paul, in sending this letter for their service in the hands of a man who had ministered to his need, it's a joy. Epaphroditus' mission is one of joy. His coming and his healing was a point of joy for Paul in the midst of his sorrows. This is one of the most personal parts in any of the letters. It says that I may not have sorrow upon sorrow. You ever felt like that? You know what I mean? Like I was like, Paul, you know, he's a seasoned apostle, but he still says that. Paul rejoices over his brothers. And then he also longs to send him to Philippi in order that he may also rejoice in their company and service. Epaphroditus is a servant of her church, of his of the church and her members. He serves for their joy. He ministers to Paul, the seasoned apostle, and his returning to the church will bring them much rejoicing. His mission, if I have not said it, is one of joy. Joy being one of the main themes of the entire letter and something that we will explore in greater length when we finally finish chapter two today and we begin with chapter three someday. Epaphroditus brings them great joy. His major qualification, which Paul had assigned him, is love for others shown in his service. He was not only entrusted with the gift, as we see in verses 29 through 30, but he was faithful. And in him returning to Philippi, he will be faithful. That's why in verses 29 through 30, there's two commands. He says, receive him, And it says, honor such men. His qualifications were not that he was smart or tall or handsome. His qualifications weren't that he had a great education or he could talk a smooth game. His qualifications is that he was a brother and a fellow worker. That when the gift from Philippi was lacking, he took it upon himself to fulfill his service. He was at risk, but he wanted to serve the people and the apostle. He demonstrated the sort of sacrificial service that we saw earlier in chapter 2 that should exemplify the life of the disciple. It is a sort of attitude of mind that Paul was longing to instill in the heart of the Philippians to put others first and to serve them, which was true of Christ. The thing which again is emphasized In the work of Epaphroditus, man, I said that name a lot, is in verse 29, that he almost died for the work of Christ. That in him bringing a monetary need, that in him serving the apostle, even in the midst of sickness, and in him returning, that was the work of Christ. It was not work in general, or just because he was an amazing friend, but in his service for others, He and Paul both understood it. It was a service to Jesus Christ. What was done for others was not wasted, but it was done for Christ. It is Jesus again, which fuels the enterprise. It was his service for them that brought them joy to both them and Paul. And God used the service of one man to bless a church and a seasoned apostle in the midst of prison. Because in the end, it was a service unto the Lord. And it is what Paul is hoping to communicate to them. What fuels the genuine service of the church. Because of the gospel and the work of Christ, 
Epaphroditus can serve and love both groups and individuals. It is the same heart and attitude that Paul longed to instill into the heart of the Philippians. Because of the gospel, they could also serve one another. And because of the gospel, we see that we can serve one another as well. Ethan's not here, so I'm going to tell a story about him too. Is that okay? One time, we, we went to this thing, and they were serving dinner. It was for, like, pastors. And I just got really uncomfortable, right? Because it's like, I'm not used to it. And I'm like, oh, you know, it's fine. I can help wash the dishes. And Ethan just looked at me, and he's not here, so I don't know if he's going to be mad. But anyways, and he said, you know, Josue, the first step in giving grace is being able to receive it. The first step in giving grace is being able to receive it. And then he went on and kept eating his dinner, and I just kind of sat there in silence. God gives us grace, and we serve one another. That's the picture that Paul is showing. It is not just all give, and it is all, it is all, it is all not just take. But one of the things that can really throw us off is where he talks about the fact, or at least it threw me off, that he almost died for the service that was lacking. We already said that it wasn't a rebuke to the Philippians, but how Epaphroditus went above and beyond. But we have to take some time to really think through and wrestle with the fact that, he was, that we are called to serve each other genuinely. It would be an inappropriate application to read this and think that the text is calling us to serve one another to the point where it brings harm to ourselves. That may be a calling, but that is not the immediate application. There are passages in the Bible that talk about serving one another and doing so sacrificially. Jesus of himself says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it does not bear much fruit. There is passages in the Bible that call us to lay down our lives for each other, right? In John, it says, for there is no greater love than this, that a man lays down his life for his friends. So if someone, does that mean that if somebody calls you at midnight and they need help with their alternator and you have a sick child at home, you should definitely go. Even if it's midnight, is that what this text is saying? Perhaps. But I mean, if you're the kind of person that somebody calls if their alternator's broken, at that point, just go to the mechanic. An alternator is actually kind of hard to change. Um, in other words, by emphasizing that Epaphroditus served, even though he came to the point of death, does that mean that we should take this lesson as the normative and that we should always serve far and above all of our means, even if it means that we ourselves come to the point of death? I think it might be unwise to take what is being described here and apply it normatively, meaning that the only way that we can genuinely serve is to do so in extreme means and ways, because that is not what the text is emphasizing. But the general principle of the text is this, that we should be the kind of people that are willing to serve sacrificially. I think the way to understand what is being asked is to consider the general call of scripture to serve one another, to be willing to put another's preference first. 
this, of course, means that it is our general attitude. It is not just a rule to be followed. What is emphasized is the fact that Christians are called to be of sacrificial character because it reflects the character of Christ. So it does not necessarily mean that unless you are staying up till midnight every night, you are not really truly serving others. It is talking about a community where sacrificing for each other is the character of the people that are here. The danger here is that Paul is addressing is the fact that we can come into a community where we act like we are pure consumers, where we are constantly taking and grabbing and we look for ways that we can receive and how it is that the church is serving me. That is one of the warnings that Paul has given. Do we come to church and just say, what is it that I want or that I like or they didn't do this or they didn't do that? Which again, if you don't like something that I did, feel free to come to me. I always take feedback, not always well, but I always take it. We are called to gospel friendships and the focus in them is the giving. But at the same time, the other danger is that we can become a community where the focus is only on giving. You should just give and give and give and give. And if you have anything left, you didn't give enough. And in that sense, the people are not consumers, but they're martyrs. And there's always an underlying hum of complaint that others are not giving as much as we are, or serving as much, or care as much. The biblical balance is that we are a community, like we see here, that serves one another. There is a give and a take. There is a giving and a receiving. Relationships are reciprocal. And you cannot give grace unless you receive grace. We give the gifts that we have. And beloved brothers and sisters, we all have different gifts and talents. Some have a good eye for color and beauty. Others master spreadsheets and tabulations. Some are good at working with their hands. And others are good at talking. Not one is better than the other. But in working together as a body, we are conformed to the image of Christ daily as we challenge and we serve each other. So we come here not just to take, but we come here to take and to give. And we all, beloved brothers and sisters, have something to receive and we all have something to give. So if you are a consumer, it is good to take a step back and to consider how we can serve others. And I don't just mean in the formal functions of the church, although I'm sure Mark Winneborg would want more ushers. So if you want to be an usher, just go to Mark after church. I mean in serving the people of the church, which can be getting a cup of coffee and printing a bulletin. They're both remembered by the Lord and are wonderful ways to serve giving a ride and remembering a birthday are both ways of sacrificially caring. What gifts has God given you and what ways can you serve those around you? It is also important then to mention that we are all serving each other. So it is good to receive. I think it is important to say, and I will say it now, it's okay to take a break.
it is okay to stop. It's okay to say no. The problem is in being the kind of person whose character is marked by an aversion to service and other people. But if you cannot do something, it is okay to not do it. You cannot repent about being a person who has limits. We are all people. We all have limits. We all need to sleep. Even the mightiest man and warrior needs at least seven and a half hours. It's okay to know limits. There is only one who did all things well. The gospel frees us from both of these. We can serve because we have been saved by the grace of God. As Jesus is building our character, we can also rest and receive because our identity is not marked by sheer service and sacrifice, but because one has sacrificed for us already. And because of that, we can rest. The gospel frees us to both give and to receive. And all of that for joy. As we sing, as we serve, we always remember that it brings joy to us and to God's people with our various gifts. That's what gospel friendship means, is to know each other, to love each other, and to serve one another. And that's what Paul challenged the Philippians in the midst of pressures, in the midst of tensions, and in the midst of hardships. And that we may be a church that is known for our genuine concern for each other and our genuine service that those who have a need may come and that we may be able to give to them and at the same time that they may feel like this is a place in which they can contribute. Let us, therefore, come to care for one another, come to know each other, and that we may serve each other. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the one that's working. You are the one that strengthens your people. And because of what you have done, Jesus, we can care for one another. We can come to know each other, not in a way where we want to impose ourselves, but because we are confident and strengthened in you, that we can be a people that knows others and knows them well and cares for them. Lord, that we would be a people that care for one another, that love each other, that as it says in the Gospel of John, that they will know we are Christians by our love. Help us to be a people, Lord, that serve one another. For those that may feel like they have nothing to contribute, Lord, would you help them and open their eyes that they may see the wonderful gifts that you had gave them, the wonderful ways in which they can serve for those that are tired and weary, perhaps of serving, would you strengthen them and bless them and help them to receive, Lord, the service of others and to remember that it is you who provides the strength and the means. You are the one that cares for your people. You are the one that sustains your church. You are the one that remembers us and loves us, that even though we may be the foremost of sinners, that your grace is more than enough. 
So help us to be a people and a church that reflect that in our interactions and in our relationships, not only with those that are within these walls, but those that are outside in our workplaces and as we're driving down the street, Lord. Help us to be a people who show genuine concern and genuine service, all for your glory, that your name would be glorified among us and that we would rejoice in knowing that you are good and all you do is good. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.